Let's pray. Our God, we thank you so much that we can come here this morning and we can hear your word preached. We pray and ask that your spirit would teach and, and instruct us. Oh God, I pray that we would walk away not only knowing the truths of your word, but understanding them and being compelled to, to go and to live these things out in our lives. Father, you know exactly where we're at and the things that we wrestle with. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning who are wrestling with various things. God, that you might give them the words that they need. Father, I know that at times we need to be comforted in our struggles. There's times, Lord, when we need to be rebuked and as we give ourselves to, to sin and, and not trusting in you. But Lord, I pray that you would speak your word to us where we're at and what we need, that your name might be glorified, that your church might be encouraged. We thank you and we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this morning as we come to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, if you sort of don't count the introduction to the letter, we now have reached the second sentence in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. At least in the Greek, that's the way it is. And so, you know, the, the first sentence, of course, covers from verses 3 through 14, where Paul teaches us of the great riches that God has bestowed upon us as he has chosen us, and then as he has sent his son to redeem these people that he has chosen, and then as he has given us his spirit to, to seal us and to give us as an inheritance that we will have with him forever. And now Paul turns to praise or to thanksgiving and prayer. Now, I don't want us to miss here uh, what Paul is doing here. Uh, through his example, he is really emphasizing the ministry of the word and prayer, that they go together, that they are not inseparable, uh, or they are uh, inseparable. And so what Paul has for us is he wants us to see the importance of not only hearing the word, but also praying regarding that as well. And actually, Paul does that a couple of times in his book. He does that, first of all, in, this, in chapter 1, as we uh, saw in verses 3 through 14, how he shares these wonderful truths. And then he prays in verses 15 through 23 that we would understand these truths. And then he does the same thing in chapter 2. He gives us great theological treaties and talks about our position in Christ and who we are. And then in chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, he begins to pray once again that we could understand these things, that we might go and live it. But why does Paul do this? Well, because Paul knows that it doesn't do any good to know these glorious truths if we don't understand them. Because if we don't understand them, we can't live them out in, in our lives. And that's why after he instructs the church in Ephesus... You know, and is praying for them that they could understand this. That then in chapter 4, he says, in essence, that now you understand it, you got it, now this is how you are to live it. And then he talks about how we are to live out our faith. See, Paul wants us to know that it's not enough to just be taught these great truths, it must be taught. And then I like the way John MacArthur puts it. He says, it must be taught and then prayed in as it were, by the energy of the Holy Spirit of God, released as a response to intercessory prayer that these truths would take root 
and grow, bearing fruit in sanctification. In other words, it's not enough just to know these things, but we need to pray that the Spirit of God would so bring these things to bear upon our hearts that we would understand the reality of these truths and what that means for our lives, that we might live as we are positionally. You know, there's a sense in which positionally we are one thing in Christ, but practically we find ourselves living oftentimes another way. So practic or positionally we are holy, we are righteous, but we all know that that's not exactly how our weeks go every day. Uh, practically, oftentimes we sin and we are anything but holy. And so as we think about Christian maturity, Christian maturity is not knowing more of God, but it's really uh, practically living out who we are positionally in Jesus Christ. And so we have described something of these great truths of, of, uh, that are ours in Christ. And then Paul moves to pray for us that we would understand these truths. And so it's important, brothers and sisters, that we are praying for ourselves, first of all, but also that we are praying for each other as well. That as we hear the word of God taught in Sunday school, as we study it in our men's groups and our women's groups, as we hear the word of God preached, that, uh, that we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would take that word and help us to understand these truths that we might live them out. To listen to God's word or to read it without then praying for the Spirit of God to work in our hearts is like planting a seed in the ground and then forgetting to put water in the hole and never watering the plant. You know, this pitifully little thing might come up but it won't be much of a plant without water because it's necessary to grow. And in the same way, we need God to work in our hearts to receive and to understand that word. Amen? But that's next week's sermon. Okay? That's next week. We're, we're going to look at that. But what I want us to do today is to look at Paul's petition. Uh, uh, before we look at Paul's petition to the Ephesians, I, what I want us to look at today is the praise or the thanksgiving that he gives to God uh, in verses 15 and 16. And then next week we'll look at the petitions that Paul prays for. So let's look first of all at verses 15 and 16 at the thanksgiving for the saints that, that Paul gives. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In other words, Paul doesn't stop giving thanks to God for what he sees in the life of the Ephesian believers. Now, this doesn't mean that kids, that Paul walked around 24-7 saying, Oh, praise the Lord for the Ephesians. Oh, God, I'm so thankful for the Ephesians. Oh, Lord, isn't this really awesome, the, what you have done in the life of the Ephesians? That's not what I mean when I say that he, he gives thanks for them without ceasing. What it says here is, is that when he prays, when he takes time to pray, that his heart swells up with thanksgiving for these believers. Brothers and sisters, do we give thanks for each other? As you pray for each other throughout the week, as you sort of work your way through the prayer sheet that we have in, in the bulletin, are your prayers full of unceasing thanks to God for each other, for the people that's sitting right beside you in your pew? 
You know, it's so easy, is it not, to sort of rush into God's presence and to say, Lord, I need this and this and this and this. Almost like we're taking our, our, our list of Lowe's or Home Depot and just sort of rattling off the things that we need so we can put it on our cart and we can run back out and go home and start on our project. And oftentimes that's how we approach God. And we forget to give him thanks for that which he is already giving us, including our brothers and our sisters in Christ. But Paul doesn't just give thanks to, um, Paul doesn't give thanksgiving to God simply because the Ephesians are a great group of people. And he's like, oh, Lord, I really like these people. They're really great. He says instead in, in verse 15, he goes, for this reason. And, and what that does is it refers back to what Paul has just been describing of what God has done for those whom he has chosen, as well as the blessings that he has given to his people. And Paul sees in the lives of the Christians at Ephesus certain evidence that leads him to believe that God is at work in their lives, and this causes him to give thanks. So what is that evidence that Paul sees? Well, first of all, it's the evidence of faith. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord. Paul sees in the Ephesian church believers in Jesus Christ. Paul says that he's thankful for who they are because they have faith. And that's a good reminder for us uh, because the starting point of the entirety of the Christian life is faith in Jesus Christ, is it not? I mean, we've been talking about how God has chosen uh, 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 people for himself from before the creation of the world. He is predestined. Uh, that they would be saved. He has sent his son to do that. We see all this glorious thing that's going on behind the, the scenes. But for us as human beings, the first step, the first evidence that we see that someone is a believer is when they exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must first believe on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are born again because of his merit and work applied to us by the Holy Spirit according to the plan of the Father. That is where everything starts. But brothers and sisters, that's not where everything ends or where it stops. Once we begin by faith in Jesus, we continue to live by faith in Jesus each and every day. And Paul sees this in the life of the Ephesian believers, and so he gives thanks for their faith. You know, faith is a little bit like kids who learn to walk. You know, if you've been around little ones, toddlers, what do they do? They take a step and everybody's like, oh, wow, look at that. They took a step and then they take another step. But, you know, rarely do I ever see a kid who takes a couple of steps and then he sits down and he says, you know, I can walk now. And he never takes another step in his entire life. That's not the way it works. The way it works is they take a step and then. You know, they're a little wobbly, they fall down a lot, and even though they don't really do it very well, parents seem to get really excited, and grandparents even more excited, you know, over that, and you're like, they're really not that good, why are we so excited? But anyway, but they continue to take steps, and they get better at it, and they get stronger, and next thing you know, not only are they walking all over around the house, now they're running everywhere, and mom's worn out, and so on and so forth. But anyway, the Christian life is a little bit like that. Faith is a little bit like that. After we become Christians and we place our faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that we stop living by faith. Our faith may be weak, it may be wobbly, we may fall down uh, lots of times, just like a toddler, but we continue to grow in our faith as we walk with the Lord each and every day. And soon we see that the Lord is causing our faith to be stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's what Paul is thankful for. 
He sees that starting point where the Ephesians have begun in believing in Jesus Christ. And Paul sees the work of the Spirit at work in the hearts of the Ephesian believers. But notice that Paul's not just talking about faith. And he's really not even just talking about faith in Jesus Christ. But it's a faith, he says, in the Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see... What binds us together uh, is a common submission to the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Master. He's not only our Savior, but He is the Master of our lives as well. And that's what brings communion in the church as we follow one another. I mean, you think about it, what alienates us from each other? Is it not the works of the flesh? Is it not our selfishness? And as we do that which pleases us, that just drives a wedge between us. But as, but as we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, that brings the, the, the communion of the church together. And as we come closer to the cross of Jesus, we're brought closer to each other. You've probably heard the illustration. Kids, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but that sort of forms a triangle if you look sort of on the inside there. And so if you think about a triangle, and there's two points out here at the bottom of the triangle, and imagine that this represents two people. Now, my wife and I use this in marriage counseling to talk about how the Lord can draw couples closer together. But it's really true of any Christian that here we are at the bottom. And you know what? We're pretty far apart. But as we move closer to that top point, and that top point being Jesus and him on the cross, as we draw closer to Christ... What happens? We get closer to each other, don't we? And that's exactly what, what we see here. You know, as we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, um, and it only happens because our will becomes His will. Or His will becomes our will is maybe another way to say it. His plan becomes our plan. And we submit ourselves to Him. And because of that, then we're drawn closer to each other. And Paul saw that in the life of the Ephesians. And so he rejoiced. But he also says that he sees the evidence of love as well. He says, for this reason, because I heard of your love toward all the saints. Now, some of your translations may have a little footnote out to the side that says in some of the earlier manuscripts that word love's not there. It's omitted. And so, you know, is that really something to consider? Well, I would su suggest to you it is. Because if you take out that word love, then you have all kinds of problems. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and, and your faith towards all the saints. It almost sounds like everybody's saved. Well, so some people then try to do some hermeneutical a gymnastics and say, well, it doesn't mean faith, it means faithfulness, and it causes all kinds of, of difficulties. But it makes perfect sense if you understand that it's talking about faith and love. And not only that, but that's very common for Paul. Look over to Colossians chapter 1. As he's greeting the Colossian church, uh, Paul says, I'll, let's start in verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And so that idea of love or faith and love go together. The love that Paul talks about here, though, 
is not, you know, the kind of like butterflies in your stomach type of feeling or that, that sappy love. It's not an emotion. It's an act of our will. It's something we choose to do. And, and love is really a practical expression of the change that God has brought about in our lives as he makes us new creatures in Christ. Because before we come to faith in Christ, who's the, head, who's the master of our lives? Me! You know, and if everybody would just understand, if they would just do what I want, we would all get along so much better. But people just don't get that. And we get so frustrated. But then we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and Christ sets us free from the flesh. We still battle with it. There's still the remnant of the flesh that is there. But Christ has set us free that we might love others and, and not just ourselves. So, in other words, if we want to know whether we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to look for the evidence of love. Because the Bible talks about how Christ has poured his love out into our hearts. Now, turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. John is, is writing to uh, these believers who... Uh, had heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they had placed their faith in Christ, and they felt really good about themselves. And then these false teachers started coming in and going, yeah, well, actually Jesus isn't enough. You know, actually you also have to, and then they you know, filled in the blank with the things that these people needed to do to truly be acceptable to God. So they were sort of shaken in their faith, and they needed to be assured that, that they belong to him. And so John's letter addresses that. That's why if you, if you have a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling with the assurance of faith, oftentimes we take them through 1 John to help them to see. But, but notice what he says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. He says, We know that we have passed out of death unto life. In other words, we know that we have become a Christian because we love the brothers. That is evidence of that love. Skip down to verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so we see that, that evidence of the new life that we have in Christ is that we love one another. As a matter of fact, he states it so strongly that if you look back at chapter 3, verse 14, the very first verse we looked at, at the end of that verse, uh, John says, whoever does not love abides in death. So it's almost as if Paul is saying, you know, I'm thankful for your faith, but I'm also thankful for your love because your love shows the genuineness of your faith. Because you see, love at its core is centered on other people and not on ourselves. And that's the evidence of a true change that God has made in our hearts. That he has set us free from the bondage of sin and selfishness that we might actually be able to love each other. And God is simply making us like his son, the Lord Jesus, whose whole life was centered on others. Jesus ministered to others. Jesus lived for others. He even died for others. So if we are to love, we must be other-centered. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13... Go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. I know we've studied through this before, but Paul reminds us that love causes us to look away from ourselves and our own needs and to minister to others. This is how he puts it. He said, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. 
It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Kids, are you listening to this? Think about this as you think about your week with your siblings and some of the struggles that goes on. He says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. You see, the love that Paul is thankful for from the saints is a love that focuses on others, seeking to serve and to bless others. But Paul reminds us that the love that he speaks of doesn't discriminate. You know, it's, it's so easy, is it not, or I should say it's easier to love, to say you love someone or to show love to others when that person is like you, right? Um, you know, they, they may like the things that we like or they may help us or they may be kind to us and it's really much easier to love people like that. But what about people that are not like us? And, and Paul says here that he, he rejoices and he gives thanks of their love toward all the saints for all the members of Christ's body. And that's not always easy for followers of Christ to do. I mean, even in Mark's gospel, Jesus' disciples try to stop a man who's casting out a demon in Jesus' name. And th this is the reason why they were stopping him. In, in Mark 9.38, the disciple says, because he doesn't follow us. He's not from our brand. He's not from our, you know, he's not from our uh, group. And so we stopped him, Jesus, you know, like they were expecting Jesus to praise them. But instead, Jesus strongly rebukes the narrow heartedness of the disciples. Disciples had fallen into a sin that sadly has too often marked the church. And that is a, a partiality that we love sort of here and there. We love people who are more like us. But I mean, think about Ephesus. Ephesus was a, a, a very, um, very diverse place. It was a commercial center. There were lots of people from different places and all over the world. And think about what Paul says about loving all the saints and the diversity there. There were native Ephesians who probably grew up pagans. There were folks that were ethnically Greeks but had come from other nations. There were those who were Jewish or Roman. There were all sorts of, of people. It would be a lot like if we went to New York or L.A. or Chicago or someplace like that. And Paul says that I'm thankful that you have shown love to these people. You see, when God saves us, he changes us and he pours out his love into our hearts, allowing us to love others, even people not like me. People maybe with very different temperaments, very different personalities, people of different nationalities, people of different political parties. Maybe we need to emphasize this week, you just look at all the, the ads that are going on and the back and forth between political parties and even seeing some of the things Christians say and you're like, oh, what are we doing? Or maybe it's different denominations, whatever the difference may be that we may wrestle with, but Christ has called us to love. You see, our relationship with Christ brings us into relationship with each other and gives us opportunity to love one another. Now, think of it this way. Okay, so um, some of you have siblings, maybe not everybody, but some of you have siblings. And I want to ask you a question. Are you in relationship with your brothers and sisters because you woke up one morning and you said, you know, these are the neatest people on earth. You know, I wish I could spend every waking moment 
with these people. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to share my bedroom with them because I just think they're such cool people. No. No. You know, you, you have a relationship with your brothers and sisters because it's really sort of forced upon you. You're stuck with them. What do they say? You can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. You know, it's, it's that kind of idea. You have a relationship with them because you have a relationship with your parents. And it's the relationship that you have with your parents that brings you and your siblings together in a real relationship as you spend time together, as you help one another, as you encourage one another, maybe even sometimes as you challenge one another. It is your relationship with your parents that sets the parameters for your relationship with each other. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly what happens to the Christian. Because we have a relationship with Jesus, we have a relationship with each other. We may be very diverse. We may even frustrate one another from time to time. But uh, we have a relationship with each other. And it's no accident that we have been brought together as a body. You know, we can see God's plan in saving us oftentimes. But there is also a plan that God has in bringing us together to be part of a church body. You know, God has handpicked every person that he has brought to Kirk of the Plains. And you are here for a reason. And you are an integral part of this body. You are a necessary part of this body. I read 1 Corinthians 12. And as a matter of fact, I can know that even those that it seems like, well, they're the weaker parts, they're even the more important parts. And if you weren't here or if we were all the same and we all looked alike, you know, we'd all be an elbow. Well, that would make it very hard for us to walk if we were all an elbow. You know, it just there's the different parts for a reason. And the Lord intends for us to be part of his family and the body of Christ. And so Paul gives thanks uh, to God for these believers and for their love for one another. And they belong to one another. Brothers and sisters, prayer for others is so important. And we need to be praying for one another. Uh, and I would also say this, that prayer for others is fueled by our praise to God. You know, when you find yourself struggling to pray, does anybody else, can anybody relate to that? Oh, yeah. You know, we all, we struggle with prayer. Well, when you're struggling with prayer, thoughtful meditation, if you just take time to meditate upon the riches of the grace of Christ, like we see in verse 7, it, it will begin to frame uh, your heart and your mind to be able to pray for others. So, you know, as you're praying through your prayer list, if you're struggling, I encourage you just to take your Bibles and open it up, you know, and read Ephesians 1, read First or Second Peter chapter 1, and just begin to reflect upon what it is that Christ has done for you. And as you uh, are enraptured in praise to God for the things that he has given to you, it will cause you likewise to pray for others and to encourage others as well. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a time of silence and, and meditation this morning. Lord, we come this morning and we lift our voices in praise and thanksgiving to you. To thank God that you could take us who were once your enemies Lord, people who were alienated from other people, people who would only hang out with people like them, people who 
we're very self-centered and self-focused, sometimes even being blind to the needs of others. And to see, oh God, how you have so worked in our hearts uh, to make us your sons and, and Lord to cause us to walk accordingly. Father, I, I do thank you so much for this body of believers that you have brought together called Kirk of the Plains. I rejoice, Lord, in each and every person and, and the way that you are working in their lives. Uh, Father, I thank you for the love that I have seen uh, for each other, the selfless acts that have been given in the name of Christ. I pray that you would cause us to continue, Lord, to walk in faith. God, I pray that you would continue to cause us to love one another more fully and more deeply. And we pray, Lord, that that would be so evident that we would pour out into the community in which we live. Lord, that people outside would, that we would get a reputation, a good reputation of the fact that people would see even that Christ is working in our midst. And we know that some will be hostile to that, but I pray that we would uh, return love for the hostilities that we receive. Lord, may we ever be faithful to be proclaiming the gospel, whether it be by word or whether it be by our actions. And we pray these things, God, that you might be glorified. We thank you and pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.